When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Will here from We Are West Ham and I'm delighted to let you know we're running another listener giveaway. This week, one lucky listener will win a free A4 bespoke West Ham United Legends 11 print designed and produced by none other than We Are West Ham podcast icon, Quizmaster Reese Bayliss. In between writing quizzes for the podcast and his day job, Reese has been putting together some fantastic pieces that would be a great addition to any Hammers fan's home. If, like me and Reese, and almost every youngster I knew at school, you collected football stickers or cards as a kid, then this is the prize for you. The winner will pick their all-time favourite Hammers players from the six decades available, the 1960s through to the 2010s, and their 11 star players in the style of the most popular football card or football sticker of their era will be mounted on a bespoke West Ham background from the decade of your choice. You pick your favourite club crest, your favourite kits and stickers for your very own personalised and unique piece of West Ham art. To win, just head on over to are underscore West Ham on Twitter and follow the instructions on the competition tweet. Simply like and retweet the tweet, follow we are underscore West Ham and WHU Legends underscore 11 and tag a West Ham loving friend or family in the comments. Remember, if you don't win, the prints are available for sale at A3 or A4 size and would make a wonderful gift for any Hammers fanatics out there. And to be honest, we paid Reese absolutely sod all to do the quiz each week and the feature basically propped up the entire podcast all season long so you can certainly do with the cash and it make me feel less bad. So head on over to WHULegends underscore 11 to find out more. Cheers! Hello there, I'm Tony Gow and you are listening to We Are West Ham podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And a West Ham United player has scored four goals in the league for the first time in nearly 40 years. 38 years and 10 months to be precise. But Mikhail Antonio has equaled David Cross's record, which he did away at Tottenham in the old first division in September 1981 by scoring four away at hapless Norwich on the weekend in a 4-0 convincing win for the Hammers. So for the second week running, at the beginning of a We Are West Ham podcast, I am struck dumb. However, luckily enough, I'm joined by two people I'm sure have got a lot to say. Tom Edwards is back with us this week. The letter from his mum and dad last week explaining his absence was good enough for me and Jonesy in the end, and he's shown his face this week with a new barnet. And a lovely smile on his face. Tom, we missed you last week, mm. but how are you? Very happy now, mate. Yeah, I just thought maybe it was my hiatus, which uh, put some form in Antonio's boots or something, because it's not a bad week to be back for it, mate. It's a lot nicer than a few of the ones we've had in recent weeks. So happy days. Good stuff. Well, good to have you back, Tom. Jonesy, we did, uh, we of course played 
Burnley and lost to 1-0 to Burnley before the 4-0 victory over Norwich since our last game. But um, you've been here for all of it. Perhaps it is Tom, who's just a bit of a curse. And every time he dips out of a podcast, West Ham go and get a goal difference of plus three for the week and thrash someone 4-0. Do you think we just need to bin him off a bit more regularly? Yeah, should we cut him off now? Exactly. But um, yeah, so we'll jump straight into the Norwich game, Jonesy. Four goals for Mikel Antonio, only one man you can really talk about. Um, I tweeted after the game, was pretty impressed with him. Uh, he'd lost his dad in March, his dad uh, who he's pretty close to. He went online and uh, told everyone about that on Instagram. It obviously really affected him. He's kept himself in fantastic shape over lockdown. And to be quite honest, pretty much single-handedly kept us up I think you know I know it's still touch and go and technically we're not yet um but you know given certainly made a good fist of of keeping us up a resoundingly good professional in my opinion you know he might not be one of the most technically gifted that West Ham have ever had or certainly have at the moment I think that's true but I I can't fault him for his effort at all ever really since he's played for the club but certainly Mm. since lockdown um only one man to talk about from Norwich really yeah, I think it's, uh, if there's ever a, if there was ever a player in that squad that I wanted to see like have a performance like that and score four goals in one game, um, it would have been him. I think you know everyone loves him as you said, and you know he's been a great servant to the club. Obviously, with his contract coming up at the end of next season, um, I, th- I think he's earned that that new contract just for that performance and those four goals. But he's got this knack, isn't he, of of, break, of setting records? I think we have to have a record book just for him. He got the, he's got the first goal at London Stadium in the Premier League. Uh, one of the last goal scorers at Upton Park. First, um, first away team to score at uh, Tottenham's shiny new cheese factory. And, um, <laughs> and obviously he's got the first four goals in the Premier League in one game. So he loves it, doesn't he? And I think, it was, it, regardless of all that, though, it was just an all-round good team performance against, against Norwich, wasn't it? I, think, I, don't, I don't recall there being any fault at all with anyone's performance. Uh, we didn't really need to get out of second gear. Uh, and that's no dis- disrespect to Norwich, really. I just think that they knew. You can be disrespectful to them if you but, want. But at the same, at the same time, like, you, like I was listening to um, Daniel Farker's um, pre-match presser a couple of days before. And he basically said, yeah, yeah, we're relegated. Yeah, we know. We know it's coming. Um, and everyone did know. But for the manager to come out and say that, like, it was just like, yeah, we're going to win at the weekend. I didn't think it would be 4-0, mind. But... Um, Good performance, nice confidence boost going into what is now an incredibly more difficult game than we thought it would be after the full-time whistle at Norwich, given the results that's happened since. But um, yeah, all, all around good performance. Great to see Antonio get four goals. Great to see Noble back in the pitch uh, and pulling the strings. Um, yeah, and happy. Not quite as happy as I was before, but still happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm uh, obviously we'll touch on it later on about what that means for our place in the relegation battle. Obviously, both Watford and Villa getting excellent results. Sorry, Bournemouth and Villa getting excellent results and results we probably didn't see coming as well. Bournemouth with their draw against Spurs uh, first of all, and then the win against Leicester, which you know who have, who have really disappointed since lockdown. Tom, with uh, with Norwich, obviously happy with the result. You can only really beat what's in front of you, can't you? I could easily have envisaged us sitting here going, how have we not beaten them or how have we only got a one-all draw? We'll touch on the Burnley game a bit, but I think enough time has passed now. Everyone, all of the listeners will have uh, processed that one. And I think it's important we focus on the Norwich game. Was there, were you sort of really, really pleased with it or was it one of them that they're just so bad, which they were, and 
like James touched on it there, they didn't seem to show any fight and they seem to have accepted their fate long before they played us. I was a little bit worried they'd come out fighting, but what were your uh, general thoughts on the game? I thought overall, I think there was so much to be pleased with, happy with. Susek looked like he's always just popping about in the right positions. He's up and down. And I was a bit critical of him first half against Chelsea. And ever since then, he's, he's literally mugged me off every single minute. He's, he's constantly arriving late in the box. He's a handful. I think him getting more used to the style of play, getting closer to Antonio, he's making it harder for defenders to deal with both of them. I think there is a lot to be positive about. Bowen again was creating things. We just look a better team since the restart. And I was, I was happy, but like Jonesy said, it all changed when the results started coming in. It just felt like same again against Watford is equally important now. So that was the only thing. But West Ham player scoring four goals, he's a top man. And it just looks like they're, they're coming together and starting to play some right football at the right time. I know the Burnley was a loss, but I think even then we had enough chances to win that game twice over. So I think we're at least making chances, which was our problem for so much of the season. I put a lot of that down to Susek's presence, really. Yeah, obviously he was pushed forward by Moyes, wasn't he? Noble dropped mm. into that deep line role um, alongside Declan Rice, which enables Susek to go forward. I'll just get your thoughts on that, Jonesy. You mentioned Noble back on the pitch. His hair looking absolutely class. I did note that. But the one thing, it's all very well, you know, saying our Suchek's really good and we put Noble back on and what a difference he made. I think as we've felt for a lot of the season that, you know, the first team isn't perhaps always the place for him, certainly the first 11. Do you feel that as soon as we come up against a team, even I know Watford aren't miles above Norwich in the table, but they're a team who I'd suggest are pretty equal to us. They've got some all-action midfielders, Etienne Capoos, no slouch. You know, I think they've got a fairly decent team, Watford. And if anything, I'm surprised they are where they are. Do you think that that, that was a bit of a one-off because of the opposition and Noble will go back to getting run around again against a, you know, a team with more all-action midfield who actually looked like they were asked about winning the game? I think I can see why, why that, might, that might be the case. I think he did sit out those, those couple of games because of a, a slight knock in training or something, didn't he? So I'm not too sure whether it was a tactical move from David Morris in the first place. Um, but I think you're right. I think we need to start looking at, at that. Um, and, and the way that we use Noble moving forward. I think there are rumours that next year is going to be his last year before he retires. Um, and that will be the year, I think, that we that we look at. He'll be he'll be a bench player. He'll be the influence in the dressing room. He'll be the kind of like the Zabaleta, uh, the way Zabaleta has been over the last year, the John Terry influence, you know. And um, and I think he'll be quite happy with that. I think, you know, we'll be able to use him in the games, you know, at, you know like the Norwich game. Uh, in the in the games where the midfield kind of suits him, the midfield battle will suit him a little bit better. But he looks really good, sort of in that more advanced, more advanced role, look more comfortable. Um, and I don't buy this that you know his legs are gone just just yet. I think he's still got a lot to offer uh, in the team. It's just whether whether he's he can do the night. I know, like I've just said, his legs ain't gone, but I don't think ninety minutes is is really up to scratch for him anymore, is it? <laughs> I know but I've just can, said his legs aren't gone, but he just he, can't he, run anymore. He can he can, do, <laughs> he can do an hour seventy, can't he? And 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 do it like that. But I don't know. There are games that will will suit him off the bench better, and uh, his age, and other games like like against the likes of Norwich with their midfield or style of midfield that they've got, where he'd, he'd be better off at the, at the start. Uh, I'd like to see him start against Watford. Um, it'll be his 500th appearance, and we'll we'll 
we'll chat all about that next week and we'll um we might even do a, a bonus episode on on just Martin and I where me I'll just sort of cry about him for for an hour uh, tell him <laughs> yeah I can't I I'm definitely not looking forward to the day when Mark Noble <laughs> announces his retirement. Yeah. Well, Tom, look, since since we were last since we were last on, I know it's been a couple of weeks off off for you, but since me and Jonesy did the show last week, West Ham obviously we lost to Burnley first, but you had some intriguing results around us. I think it's fair to say that uh, after that Norwich game, um, we everyone around West Ham was like, ah, that's it, pretty much, we're done here. Uh, Bournemouth, they got an excellent point at home to Tottenham. Tottenham were awful. Bournemouth played pretty well, and you know, to be honest, were quite. They were even unlucky not to get the win. There, Watford get a two-one win at home to Newcastle, who went one 0 up, and then two Troy Deeney penalties give them the three points. Bournemouth then go and beat Leicester four-one. I mean, Leicester have got their own problems going on. Kaglasoyuncu loses his head, um, but again, Bournemouth looked really good. I did watch Bournemouth at at Man United not too long ago. And I know he got, ended up getting stuffed, but they've sort of got some players who, they look like they can do bits in, in moments. But you've got some, you had some results certainly that worried West Ham fans a bit. And we thought it was over after the Norwich game, assuming that Leicester were going to rock up, beat Bournemouth. Hopefully Newcastle would have got a point at, at Watford and then it was all going to be hunky-dory. Aston Villa obviously beat Crystal Palace 2-0 in that time as well are you we'll go into it in more detail later but given what's happened since the last podcast which in this new modern Premier League of two games a week or whatever that we see are you were you worried or surprised by anything you saw or do you, are you one of them it doesn't matter just do what we've got to do and we've got um, you know three points out of the, the, the possible six I was I was very happy with our we we did what we needed to do against uh, away from home at Norwich and um, all we can do is win our games I think we've seen in years and years as being West Ham fans and having too many relegation battles the last five six seven games the bottom five or six tend to tend to pick up a few more points and then when they start realizing what's on the line the mid table teams start going on their summer holidays a bit earlier it's inevitable that teams were going to start picking up points other than this weekend what was it I think we were the only team who'd who'd won a game in the bottom four or five other than Watford. So it, it, it made sense to me that there was always going to be a couple of games that might make us a little bit more worried because it was seeming too ridiculous that no one was even sticking a goal in, let alone getting a point or anything. So I think it's a shame it happened because we basically could have been sat here on our holidays anyway, but it makes the rest of it a little bit more exciting, but I think we shouldn't worry, and we've got the buffer effectively on extra point with the goal difference at the minute, so we can't get too overly worried and care about the other teams. We've just got to focus on us still. Absolutely. It's a bit of an old cliche, that, isn't it? But I think it rings true, certainly at the moment, in the position we're in in the table. West Ham's 16th at the time of this recording, 34 points, a minus 15 goal difference, which when asked during the week, I've been harking back to that time and time again. I've got a feeling... I would not be surprised. It'd be classic West Ham. We love a late season drama against Manchester United when it really matters. Mm. If we only end up getting a point against them and we end up staying up just on our positive goal difference. Ours minus 15. Then you've got Watford in 17th. Uh, 35 games played, same as us. 34 points, minus 21 goal difference. Then Bournemouth, 31 points, minus 24 goal difference. And then Villa. 30 points minus 27 so still a lot to play for you still think hopefully we've just about edged it but we've got a lot more to come on tonight's show we'll look ahead 
to that Watford game. We've got Andy Lewis joining us from a Watford podcast later on. We've also speak to Quizmaster Reese Bayliss, who is back. He's, he's uh, set up his own little company uh, doing West Ham prints, bespoke prints, another giveaway for the listeners on the We Are West Ham podcast. And we'll also talk uh, next, Jones. I want to get your view on this. We put a Twitter poll out earlier. A story emerged this morning that the government uh, plans that to allow fans back into stadiums at the beginning of next season. It'll be partial, partial crowds, of course. It won't be 60 or 1,000 people in at the London Stadium, that's for sure. Numbers are a bit unclear at the moment, but if games in Europe or anything to go by, test matches that have been done, it's between 25 and 50% expected. We've done a Twitter poll, so we're getting to that. First of all, I just want to get your your thoughts on it, Jonesy. It's, um, it will be the beginning of next season, around the middle of September. I think the 12th is the date that Premier League teams are aiming for at the moment. Uh, we put out the poll earlier on, asking fans if... They do allow, if the government do allow fans back in at the beginning of next season and masks are compulsory and families or groups who aren't from the same household are forced to sit apart, would you go? Uh, we'll go into the results in a minute, but just to get your thoughts on it, would you be interested? Are you sort of one of those can't wait to get back as soon as it's okay and you'll be clamouring for one of the golden tickets or are you a bit more wary and you're happy to leave it for a few more months until it's a bit safer? I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide whether I think it's a good idea or not um, in the first place. Um, okay, given... Tom. Then. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just it, it's a strange one because regardless of whether you know fans think you know whether they they would want to go with reduced capacity, whether they got to sit away from their mates or their family, and they got to wear a mask and stuff like that. I just, I think that I'm not too sure how many clubs would be open to it um and the reason why is because all the stadiums are all different capacities so if you're only allowing 50 percent of every stadium's capacity and then the likes of you know west ham uh, arsenal you know all, all the clubs with the biggest stadiums in the league are going to benefit more from the likes of uh, i don't know bournemouth for still in the league for instance you know i think the capacity is 11 eleven thousand. You've got you've got five and a half thousand Bournemouth fans compared to thirty. But that happens anyway, fans. don't you think? Yeah, don't but think I mean, happens anyway, you could say it is, it is a relative, but I, I just I don't know. I think it, you you do lose that level playing field almost with if you're only letting fifty percent of capacities. Uh, you know, you can't help hundred percent capacities if the grounds are smaller. Um, but at the moment, it is a one hundred percent level playing field. Every single ground is empty. If you start letting fifty percent in, I think you know. Uh, Thirty thousand fans at London Stadium can make one, you know, a, a bigger, a bigger atmosphere than five thousand at at, um, at the Vitality. Uh, and I just think I don't, I don't know whether. I mean, I might be talking absolute rubbish here, and then all the mm. Premier League clubs would be like, "Lovely, we'll have it. We can't can't wait to get the fans back because it's a little and bit the money more so because yeah, it's yeah. revenue, yeah." But um, you know, as we saw when they were arguing about you know whether to even start football again or not, you know, a couple of months ago, a lot of clubs were you know you know, saying, well, hang on, that's not fair if we do it this way. That's not fair if we do it this way. We'll be disadvantaged if, if you decide to do these rules. Um, so I think a lot of clubs, particularly the, uh, the, the clubs that aren't expected to challenge for anything other than a relegation battle or, you know, mid-table you know, mid or anything like that, they, they might have something to say about it. But um, it'd be interesting well, to see, see how, it, how, how it transpires because I can't wait to get back to 
back to watching West Ham live. Uh, and, you know, um, even if it is sitting away from me, mates, I might even have a better, uh, a better experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just uh, to put you on the spot then, Josie, that was if I don't know if you did vote on the poll earlier on, but that would have been, that would have been a yes from you. So if next season, whether it's, even if it means you have to sit on your own or whatever, um, or, you know, five or six seats away from your mates and anyone else, you're, you'd be happy and you'd be putting your name in the hat, would you? Uh, it's a tentative yes. It, well, so unfortunately, that wasn't one of the options on Twitter, Jonesy. So yeah. it's yes or no. And if well, you do that, say no, I'll be getting onto the club and reminding them of this when there's a ticket ballot. That's why. That's why I voted yes in the poll. Well. I think it's because uh, I think it's because his, his missus is within earshot, Tom. I imagine she can hear, and she's not keen <laughs> on going back to football in September. Tom, well, I asked the same question of of you. So I said there, the EFL were set to hold trial matches um, on the last game of the championship season just to see if it would work. They've now been cancelled, um, but they're, the, the EFL are also working on plans as well. This is, this is all coming from a, a leaked government memo that suggested um, that fans will be allowed back at the beginning of next season. They're expected to make an announcement on it very soon, uh, apparently. But um, is it something that you'd be interested? Mm. A lot of people are kicking off about uh, face masks. And although that wasn't part of the leaked memo, that's just taken from latest government advice. People going to shops are going to have to wear them on public transport's already been compulsory since the middle of June. Mm. Uh, are you bothered by any of that? Or are you desperate to get back or not really? I said I'd, I voted in the poll. I actually said no. I mean, it's exciting that it's even an option. I didn't think we'd be playing football even by now, a few months ago. I didn't, the thought of fans coming back seemed like a, a real distant possibility. So it's exciting that it's even an, an option. But on a personal level, I think it would make the experience a little bit hollow. I'd, I'd struggle, not necessarily not being with my mates, just seeing it half empty, seeing the way it is. Bit the, the idea that people want to come in, couldn't come in. We've got however many season ticket holders, 50,000. Some of them will be missing out. There's always going to be someone somewhere who's going to get the wrong end of this stick. But I know we're not going to, it's never just going to come back and we're going to have everyone straight in there. So there needs to be some kind of way of easing it back in, whether that be friendly matches or whatever. But I just, I just, for me, I feel like it would be a bit of a hollow experience as much as I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing to get back there and want to be there with my mates, you lot, or whoever it is. I think there's got to do it at a time and place when it is right for for everyone and it makes sense on a wider scale for me but well that, that that's quite intriguing actually because i'll give you the results of the poll now we've got a decent mm. amount of uh, votes so you know it sort of it gives you a pretty accurate idea of what the fan base are thinking or certainly what the uh, followers of we are west ham on Twitter are saying, and 61% said yes. So it was, the question was, after it emerged this morning, some fans could be allowed back in stadiums at the beginning of next season. Would you go if masks were compulsory and supporters from different households were set apart? 61% of fans saying yes, 39% saying no. At, at first, I, I wasn't sure if that surprised me. I thought it was going to be a lot more yeses to be quite honest. But I guess, you know, people during lockdown are realising that there are more important things than football and the, and than West Ham. Me personally, I, I said yes, but because I, although I go to football with my dad, we don't always sit together. He doesn't, there's weeks he doesn't go, there's weeks I don't go. So often I'm a, I, I sit at football on my own anyway and go and meet my mates at half time for a pint. I also, I can see the stadium from my window so I can be at my seat front door to see in 15 minutes. So it's a, 
it's a different prospect for me if it meant getting on public transport or coming up from Essex or different parts of London I think I'd be less I'd be less keen on it I think it's a personal situation as it would be for everyone um but I think that would be one of the main sticking points certainly whether uh, you know figuring out who gets who gets tickets when it when it eventually if it eventually comes to it but look we'll take a break now we've got Andy Lewis from the Stairway to 7th Watford podcast joining us shortly we'll talk Jared Bowen and Thomas Suchek arguably the best January signings we've made in years and what does Mikhail Antonio's recent return to form say about Sebastian Heller's ability or lack of ability shall we say he has obviously come on those rumours or the conspiracy theorists thinking that because we hadn't paid Eintracht Frankfurt the instalment that we owed for him that meant you would never, ever see him in a West Ham shirt again. That's gone away. We've got Reese Bayliss coming up to do the quiz with us later on. And we'll talk decidedly between the lads about whether West Ham are going down or not. So stick with us because all of that is next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And after the shock of a West Ham player scoring four goals in one game, actually a West Ham team scoring four goals in one game, we've found a lot to talk about already tonight on the We Are West Ham podcast. We've got Andy Lewis from the Stairway to Seventh podcast coming up. But just we did touch on it then, lads. Tom, I'll throw to you on this one first. I've got here in front of me on our pre-show notes that we do every week. There's two points. Uh, One about Sebastian Haller and his ability or lack of ability. What does it say about him that Antonio has, has fitted in so well? I want to save that one for Jonesy and I've got a few points on that that I think listeners, regular listeners to the show will have, will have heard us say before. But we'll go to you first, Jared Bowen, a bit of positive news, and Thomas Suchek. I think Suchek particularly, you've bigged him up already uh, this mm. evening, but he was probably been overshadowed a bit. Antonio scores four goals, rightfully so. He takes all the headlines. But Bowen as well, arguably the best January signings we've made in years. Suchek particularly has been wonderful. You've already bigged him up. But do you agree with those sentiments? Are, those two, are they two players mm. you could really see West Ham building the side around going forward? Yeah, 100%. Like um, like I mentioned earlier, I think just the, the sea change from when we got them in the restart, I think, well, yeah, we put two or three poor performances in, so they got here. But on the whole, we've looked more dangerous, more energy, more fight up and down the pitch at both ends. I mean, Stu Sex added a lot to our team. He's added much needed height. We were poor defending set pieces. We've been a lot better since he's come in. Attacking pieces, he's been phenomenal. He's, he's looked like he's going to get on the end of everything. Um, I think Jared Bowen has a little bit of cleverness to our front three. He's left-footed. He has a little bit of balance to the side. I mean, both of them just have come in and really, really hit the ground running. So I'm excited at what they could bring us. And I think they Bowen in particular, I think he has a lot more room to show just how good he can be. He hasn't quite added the goals we expected of him yet, but he's been popping up, creating chances. And he's looked great. His delivery from set pieces, they're almost the duo whipping it in two seconds. But it's, I'm very positive. I think they've just given us much needed steel. Absolutely. Josie, I, I assume you share those sentiments. I think Tom's right. The, I think we perhaps felt that Bowen would, would chip in with a few more goals early doors. But is that something you're particularly worried about at the moment? Or do you think he's doing enough elsewhere without putting the ball in the net? 
Not the moment, not while Antonio's banging them in for fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, who else do we need? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I think I think we all expected, particularly after he scored in his home debut against Southampton, that we chip him with a few more and given his, his record in the championship. But uh, I think, you know, he showed against Spurs, which wasn't a particularly promising performance from the team. But he was the only player in that team on that night that, that looked willing to take a player on and and, uh, and looked a little bit more... It looked like he wanted it a little bit more than everyone else. That we've seen that in every game he's played, it can go a little bit quiet every now and then. But um, I think he's been brilliant, and it, it'll only get better for us. Um, I think it's a very difficult time to arrive at the football club, um, but I think he's he's really really adapted pretty well. And and, and on Suchek, I think to have a player that I don't know, I don't know what you possibly mean about a difficult time, James. What on earth do you think was wrong yeah. with it, other than the fans revolting, no one liking the board, the manager being called a dinosaur, and the fact we look doomed to relegation in the stadium, no one likes. Gosh, <laughs> it's, it's like West Ham every year, isn't it? Apart from that, it was all right. Yeah, <laughs> Apart from yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, um, do carry on, James. Yeah, no, on on Suchek, uh, I mean, I completely agree as well that um, he's, he's he, for me, he's been a breath of fresh air in, in that midfield, and uh, he's got goal threat. Uh, from set pieces, but even in open play as well. Uh, and I just love the fact that he's, he's openly coming out and going, look, I love it here. And uh, I think he, I think the club tweeted a quote from him saying that if, if we stay up, if we're safe, he's looking forward to spending a few more years at the club. Um, so prepared to come out and say that, you know, he's confident, um, he's enjoying his football, he's enjoyed being in London, playing for the club. So, um, and then, you know, he's backing all that up with, with great performances and, and performances that are transforming the team, I think. So um, long may both of their uh, their form continue. Absolutely. I read a story, and I have mentioned it on the show in the last couple of weeks. I read a story from Andy Dillon, who's West Ham correspondent for The Sun. It was an exclusive of, of his in the paper, saying that there's a clause in Suchek's deal that says he automatically signs. If we stay up, we've got the fee agreed, and if we stay up, it's done. No, that bit of paper's already signed. It's just the paper's paperwork goes through then it hasn't really been backed up too much elsewhere whether that's through other journalists not being certain of that deal or not I'm not sure but either way it sounds like Thomas Suchek if we stay up will be a West Ham player for years to come as you said uh, Thomas Suchek and Jared Bowen if you smush them two together if you I know you've never seen Tom Edwards play football James but that is Tom Edwards is a weird mix of Thomas Suchek and Jared Bowen. He's got the weird gangly awkwardness Thank of you. Suchek. You look at him from afar and you think he's, he, he doesn't look like he's good. And the ability as Bowen can to just sort of nip in and out of people and, and actually also lacks the ability to, to put pass. the ball in the net. <laughs> all pass, definitely all pass. Goodness me. Never been so angry in a game of seven aside in Southwest London in all of my life. But on to another gangly player who hasn't quite slotted in or put the ball in the net as much as you'd like. Uh, from Tom Edwards to Sebastian Haller. Josie, I know this is something that you know you or you certainly put in the in the notes earlier on. Uh, what does it say about Sebastian Haller's game that Antonio has managed to deputise so well? I'll just quickly put my little two pennies here before we move on because I know it's got to be a quick one. But I think, and I've said it for ages, that the system we play, we had Mark Arnautovic before all action centre forward can head run the channels. You've heard me, you've heard the script from me before. Mikel Antonio, similar sort of player, a bit good at everything. Sebastian Haller is not like that. Uh, but do you think it's a bit more of a, uh, a personal attribute perhaps that Haller could improve on? 
Well, I think there's, there's no getting away from the fact they're two very different players. Um, but it's very, very obvious given the form that Antonio's been in, been in of late uh, and the form that Haller was in before the break um, that Antonio suits the style of play that we want to play under Moyes than, than Haller does, um, even under Pellegrini. Like, I just didn't, it, it didn't suit our style of play. Um, yeah, he scored the odd goal. I think he's on seven or something this season. But you know, for 40 odd million quid, 45 million quid, she should score more than seven goals. Um, but you should, should also be playing to his strengths and playing a mm. system that works. Uh, and we haven't done that. Um, so, it, although I did put that in the notes that, you know, what does it say about Haller's uh, ability? Or, you know, I think it's more about what does it say about, you know, the reasons behind why we signed Haller in the first place? Because both managers we've had, he's played under at West Ham. I know one didn't sign him, but both managers haven't used him to his strengths. Um, our initial target last summer was Maxi Gomez, um, wasn't it? Who and, seemed a bit more of that sort of all-action yeah, bloke. Didn't exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then they missed out on him. And then they ended up getting a completely opposite style of, of striker, uh, which you know is, is what we normally do anyway when we miss out on players. It's all very scattergun in the transfer window. Uh, and it's clear that, you know, this was a, a probably a, a plan C, plan D transfer target, which we've ended up on a record fee that doesn't fit our style of play. Um, so it's frustrating, but the guy can score goals. We know that he's a good finisher. Um, but we've got to either get our money back for him somehow uh, or find a way of fitting him in, because otherwise, what a waste of money. Right, shotgun answers from both of you then before we do the one last little... Who's Actually, we another little feature on another gangly man at, just at the end of this segment here on Cheku Kiyati who came out with some interesting comments this week. But just on Hala, shotgun answers from both of you. Yes or no? No more tentative yeses, Jonesy. I want a yes or no answer from you. Sebastian Hala, in the summer, cash in and buy a more suitable replacement or keep him and try and make it work next year. So... Sell Sebastian Heller in the summer and try and get someone else. James, yes or no? Yes. Tom? Yes. Tom? Yeah. If we could recoup enough of it, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think, yeah, I think everyone would share that. I don't think there's any shame in that either, whether or not the, the people at the club would do that. I think if you just go, look, it hasn't worked out. We're going to play a different system. Thanks for all your efforts and, and we swap in. No problem with that whatsoever. Just one last little bit from you then, Jonesy, before we break again and get Andy on from to talk about the Watford game. Cheku Kiyati came out with some intriguing comments this week. Um, anyone listening has got about 500 different pronunciations for Sheku Kiyate's name. So I'm sorry if, uh, if my one doesn't quite sit with how you say it at home. Just run us through, Jonesy, what he said. And you're a little bit confused about how to feel about it, aren't you? Yeah, uh, Kuate. I mean, first of all, I'd say that I loved Kuate when he was at the club. Uh, he was a bit of a giggle, wasn't he? He was always a bit of a laugh. But he, particularly those first you know, one or two seasons, he, you know, he was a good player. Um, but he's come out recently um, and said that while he was at the club after that first season on the Billich, he had an offer to go to Spurs and uh, he turned them down. And because uh, Billich uh, convinced him to stay in you know, a new stadium, which had a really great season, almost got in the Champions League, staying and building something great. And obviously, what, a year and a half later, he's, he's been flogged to Palace. And uh, Billich has been sacked and it's not worked out great. And I don't really know how to feel about it because he said, um, he said I, I could have gone to Spurs. I regret it. Uh, regret turning them down because I won't have a chance. Technically, I won't have a chance to play for a big club again. And I'm going to tell, I would tell any youngster to take that chance to play for a big club. 
Uh, and part of me is like, I don't know whether to laugh for the fact he's turned down Spurs to stay at West Ham uh, or, or be a little bit annoyed. Saying, Hang on, mate, you're already playing for a big club in, in West Ham anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot, we, we always say we want players to be honest, you know, fair players being honest about it. Um, I don't really know why Spurs were interested. I don't think he was good enough to play for Spurs at that time. Uh, they, were, they were title challengers back then. He's a in poor man's Mo Sissoko, isn't he? Exactly. Or yeah. Mele or, yeah, you know, any yeah, of the other or, or Thomas Suchek or, midfielders they were after. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, he, I don't think he was ever getting into that Spurs team. I don't know why they were after him. It was a little bit strange because mm. they were challenging for the title in and around that, that, you know, that period. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, he's now at Palace um, on the beach somewhere but, probably. Yeah, and that's, that's the other thing, isn't it? I, I will wrap up this segment shortly, but I don't really feel, you know, his, his, his form virtually fell off a cliff, didn't it? He was he had his peak season, just like loads of other players did um, in that last season at Upton Park. I, if he was moved to Tottenham, all right, he might be on a few more quid, maybe. I don't think he was getting, you know, a pauper's salary at West Ham. I think he was doing all right. Um, judging by the zillion photos of his Bentley he always posts on his Instagram, <laughs> I think uh, just, just, I think he's okay. Just quickly, it does remind me, I know he didn't force a move away, um, it does remind me when Mo Diame left and he, he was like, oh, I want to go and play for a top six club. He signed for Hull and got relegated. And um, <laughs> yeah. it kind of reminds me of that. I know he didn't, I know Karate didn't force a move away, but just the, you know, yeah. the, the, what he said kind of just reminds me of that, it makes me laugh. Absolutely. Well, I think players ultimately they end up, don't they, where their uh, where their levels and their form says they're going to. Unless your name, of course, is Mesut Ozil. But stick with us because next up we'll talk about the Watford game. What a huge game that's going to be with Andy Lewis, Watford fan and host of the Stairway to Seventh podcast. Next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards, and of course, James Jones. Now, we've covered loads in the show already tonight. We've covered the excellent result against Norwich at the weekend. But thanks to Bournemouth somehow managing to beat Leicester 4-1, our game against Watford this weekend probably isn't going to be the agree on a nil-nil before the game and all shake hands and play out a 50% possession, no shots on target game like we all wondered. But I'm thrilled to announce that we've got Andy Lewis, Watford fan, host of the Stairway to Seventh podcast, which I might add is an absolutely fantastic name for a podcast joining us tonight. Andy, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I assume you're feeling as nervous as we are ahead of the weekend. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, I was quite confident, as I'm sure you were, about staying up at about three o'clock uh, after our games uh, the, other, the other day on Saturday. Um, and then off go Villa and Bournemouth and claiming three points that perhaps we weren't all foreseeing. And now we're back, uh, sort of almost feels at square one again, uh, where our nerves are jangling a few days before, uh, before a crunch match against yourselves. So, uh, yeah, disappointing to have got the win and then 24 hours later to be just as nervous as I was before kickoff um but obviously the ball's still in very much in in our court and yours as well in terms of safety so uh yeah it's a stressful week well what have you made what have you made of Nigel Pearson's impact I know obviously uh when he took over it looked you know what for almost looked dead and buried um but you know he, he managed to turn it around but we all know Watford love love a new manager in charge uh, and if he does keep you up surely 
Nigel Pearson has, deserves the right to to, to t- try and take Watford a little bit further. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at your your, your managerial um, list over the last five years, and it's six different managers. Longest serving has been Javi Gracia. Um, poor old Yukanovic you got you promoted and still didn't keep his job. Um, I mean, what do you make of that that turnover of manager? I mean, it seems to work. Uh, and do you think Pearson yeah. deserves to keep it? So, uh, firstly, with regards to the turnover, you get used to it uh, as a Watford fan. I think it's only uh, Gianfranco Zola and Javi Gracia to be the only two managers since the Pozzos came in in 2012 to have kept their job going into a new season. Um, but yeah, you, you, you do get used to it and you get a bit a bit tired of uh, the media sort of tarnishing Watford with this revolving door brush. Um, but like you said, it's it's absolutely worked. You know, it's promotion from the uh, from the Championship, stability in the Premier League and FA Cup final with the uh, with the structure that we have. So I'm not sure many fans uh, would complain if that was the case with uh, with their clubs, sort of a similar size to Watford. Um, <clears throat> with regards to Pearson, yeah, when he came in, we were I think 16 games into the season, nine points, uh, rock bottom, and people had started to write us off already. Um, he came in with a very simple instruction of keep this club in the Premier League. And if you'd said to me when he came in that with three games to go, we'd be three points outside the bottom three, I'd have snapped your arm off uh, because that wasn't a position that I anticipated Watford being in uh, back in, uh, what was it? No, uh, it must be December um, when he came in. So there's been a few question marks recently, certainly since the restart, just mainly around his uh, his tactical approach to games, um, the way or timings he uses substitutions. Um, it's kind of felt that uh, we've become a bit over-reliant on Troy Deeney over the last, uh, certainly this season, but over the last couple of years, um, just sort of a an unwillingness to maybe try something new. You know, we saw in the final sort of 20 minutes against Chelsea, Deeney went off and Watford were by far uh, a more fluid attacking team when Deeney left the pitch and uh, Watford fans on Twitter just calling for Deeney to be dropped for the uh, for the Norwich and, and Newcastle games and, you know, ended up with a bit of egg on our face because if that had, that had happened, he wouldn't have scored those two penalties against Newcastle. So, um, I think there's been a few question marks over Pearson. If he does keep us up, then yeah, obviously he does. He has earned himself the right to stay in the dugout next season. However, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we see someone new uh, taking charge of Watford next season, regardless of what league we're in. I feel as though uh, after this season, this club just kind of needs to reset a bit and just find their identity again. And so it honestly wouldn't surprise me if Pearson... For another six months. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for 10 games and then we don't like that one so we'll sack him and then get someone else in And Andy, I was going to mention you mentioned Deeney there and obviously he had popped up with a few key goals but he was trending on my Twitter and I was just seeing him get hammered very like Mark Noble was trending for the same reason when both of them were starting and it made me laugh Do you think it potentially the last year we'll see of him in the Premier League or if you go down presumably he'll stay but is there a chance he could get moved on? Because he doesn't strike me the type of guy who could get Sorry, Andy. We'll, uh, we'll assume that you heard the end of, of Tom's question there. But I think you have just asking about Troy Deeney, obviously, whether you could see him moving on. Is that, um, do you see his future long-term or even short-term future at the club? So, uh, I think this year, Troy's already reached his 10-year uh, landmark at the club. So, he's due now a testimonial. 
So now he's ticked that off. I don't know if he's got um, Luther Blissett, our leading goal scorer and leading appearance maker. I don't know if he's got that record in his sights because I think another couple of years will probably make the appearances uh, tally. Um, I think personally, it's whilst he is obviously a club legend, he's one of Watford's all-time greatest players. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think it may be time at the end of this season to move on. Um, I think if we go down... He is an excellent championship striker, but I can see him moving on. Perhaps uh, I know he lives up in the uh, he lives up in the Midlands, um, so maybe it might be might be time for him just to start a new chapter in his life. But there's no doubt that uh, the impact he's had on this uh, on this club over his ten years has been uh, well I- incredible. We wouldn't be in the position that we're in now if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for Troy Deeney. So I think there comes a time for every player. You know, sadly, every player has a shelf life. Uh, we can't keep all our all our club favourites on until they're uh, until they're 40, 50 years old. Unless um, his name's Mark Noble, of course. <laughs> unless it's Mark Noble, uh, but yeah, I, I keep us in the league, and it wouldn't surprise me if Troy uh, if Troy did move on. But it would be a shame because you know we've had some great memories, um, mainly thanks to uh, thanks to Troy, uh, only the second captain in, in Watford's history to lead us in an FA Cup final. So uh, he's gone down in the, in the club's history. Absolutely, yeah, and I'm intrigued to hear who's done of the the former West Ham uh, staff members that you've got on the books at Watford at the moment, Scott Duxbury and Domingus Queenwa, or who's done better out of them. But first of all, I do want to talk about the game, and it's Friday night, huge game, absolutely huge game. We, James, I think is your favourite game earlier in the season that you've favourite away game ever earlier in the season at, at Vicarage Road when we, we got a decent uh, win there. What are you to, Just talk to us first of all about the game, Andy. How do you think your Watford will approach it? You know, injuries, um, approach to the game, tactics, that sort of thing, first of all. So we haven't got any new injury concerns following the Norwich game. Um, the only slight concern was Troy went off. Um, well, Troy had his knee wrapped in ice at the end of the game, um, but we were assured by Pearson that this was perfectly normal for Troy um, and he's been uh, battling battling that sort of niggle, if you like, uh, throughout the season. So I fully expect uh, Troy to start. I'm expecting uh, Pearson to start with the same 11. Uh, they beat Newcastle at the weekend. You know, uh, it's that age-old saying, uh, if, it, if it isn't broke, uh, don't fix it. Um, you know, why change a, why change a winning team? Um, so confidence, I would hope, would be would be quite high. You know, Will Hughes, I think, is the sort of unsung hero of this Watford team since the restart alongside Craig Dawson. Uh, obviously, Dawson popping up with a couple of goals uh, since the restart. But Will Hughes really has been the uh, the guy to sort of work the uh, work the midfield just in behind Troy, um, pressing forward uh, with the high line. You know, we almost um, profited from, uh, from that high press against Newcastle just after we uh, scored the equaliser. Um, so I think the West Ham defence have to, have to sort of look out Look out for that. But Watford haven't started games well since the restart. The first halves, I don't think we've had a decent first half at all in the uh, in the five six games that we've played uh, since the restart. And it's it's dangerous because we haven't. I don't think we've gone ahead yet in a game. We've had to claw our way back. You know, the wins against Norwich and Newcastle were the first times this season that we've come from behind to win. You know, what a time to do them uh, if you're going to do it. But it's not a position that. I sort of appreciate being in as a, as a fan because my heart rate's just all over the shop or has been for the last last couple of games. Um, so <clears throat> what I really want to see is uh, a fast start. 
I don't think we're going to get that just because of the predicament that both sides find themselves in. I think it's going to be a very, very cagey game. Um, but if one side can take the initiative, uh, if you can get Antonio on the ball, if we can get Ismail Assar on the ball, um, and he can have a run at our, uh, well, either's defence, um, I think it could be uh, quite a, quite an even match. But certainly I'm not expecting um, a, a goal fest. I think it's going to be very, very cagey. And do you think that um, the fact that Watford have had a pretty good record at London Stadium uh, since we moved there, see that that classic 4-2 win after we were 2-0 up quite early on, your first Great visit, um, and I think you, you beat us there last year as well, before Christmas, I believe. Um, and just wondering whether, I think we asked, we've asked a couple of a few other fans that we've come up against recently, but do you think that having no fans in that ground um, will work against Watford a little bit because you know the likes of I mean I know we've beaten Chelsea there recently but you know having Wolves there without any fans um, and um, you know I, I just feel that given the hostility that West Ham fans have given the players at that ground everyone knows it's, it, it's happened our own players um, yeah. our own players <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that's that's the problem um, that's worked in you know visiting teams favours but do you think that this time around it might might actually benefit or sort of work against Watford being the away side this time around? Bearing in mind, Andy, that we asked the same question to the Burnley guest last week, and he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I really do. And then they went to beat us 1-0. So. <laughs> well, maybe I should do the same then. Maybe it's a good luck, a good luck charm. Um, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because... I'm I'm a big uh, well I say obviously a big believer in the home advantage. That's because it it scientifically exists. You know, I sort of studied it a little bit at university without going into too much detail. And it's interesting you bring up that point because obviously you mentioned that four-two victory that we had. You know, you guys were two-nil up, and then we pulled it back to two-all. And the atmosphere at half time uh, in that stadium, and that was only I think the second league game at the London Stadium uh, mm. that you guys have played. And even then, the uh, the hostility. Uh, that you guys had towards your team was uh, pretty pretty ruthless. Um, it wasn't it wasn't nice. Um, which, as an away fan, I absolutely loved because that's the exact position you want the home fans to be in. Um, but I think you know, if 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 the, let's say the crowd were going to be there and you guys had a slow start, then yeah, I, I would imagine your fans would and to be the same at, what, at Vicarage Road. If, uh, if it was played at the other at the other stadium, um, the fans would naturally get on their back because it's such an important game. But without and you'd fans, be closer to the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> much closer. Yeah, you won't need your uh, your binoculars at Vicarage Road. Um, yeah, I I can I can see West Ham playing uh, maybe a little bit more relaxed than maybe they would. Obviously, we'll we'll never quite know um, because the fans aren't going to be there. Um, but I think it's it's so it's such a weird time. Uh, to be sort of watching and, and playing playing football, uh, you can never quite tell sort of which side is gonna is gonna turn up and which side is gonna cope with the pressure of an empty stadium or sort of lack of atmosphere. The best, you know, I I've been saying in previous podcasts, um, Troy Deeney I think feeds off the crowd. You know, I think he loves it when the opposition fans get on his back and he has a bit of banter with the fans, and he doesn't have that. And like I said, he's been pretty ineffective bar his two penalties uh, since the restart. So I honestly don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna pan out. It's such a it's such a crazy time. Um, but I think it could work uh, to West Ham's advantage. Um, 
But then again, it could also work to Watford's advantage because there's no home advantage there. So it's a, tr it's a tricky one. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff at the London Stadium. Absolutely huge game for both teams, given Bournemouth's win over Leicester at the weekend. West Ham obviously got the goal difference advantage at the moment, so you sense that a draw would be better for the Hammers. Andy, just before we let you go, normally we do just the score predictions, but I'm going to get two predictions off of you tonight. First of all, I want the score prediction from the game, and then I want to know whether or not you think Watford are going to stay up or not. And I might as well ask you about West Ham while I'm there for good measure. So first of all, Friday night, London Stadium, West Ham at home to Watford. Give me a score prediction. Uh, cagey game, Watford to nick it 1-0. Cagey game, Watford to nick it 1-0. I don't think anyone would be surprised, certainly not on this podcast, if that happened. And given that, I would suggest that would make you quite confident. You've got two difficult last games. Forgive me uh, I'm forgetting them wrong. Who's your last two? It's, uh, we've got Man City at home and then Arsenal away on the, uh, yeah, Arsenal away on the final day. So you'd think, you know, I don't want to um, give you too much of a disservice, but you'd think that any points you get against West Ham may well be your last of the season. So assuming you get the win, are Watford staying up this season? If we get the win, yes. I think either side, whoever wins it, uh, will be fairly confident about staying up. I think that'll be it. I don't, can't see uh, Bournemouth or Villa getting to 37 points at all. A point, you mentioned the goal difference there. It, it really depends on how... Uh, on how much we get spanked by Man City <laughs> if we if we do get a point because Bournemouth obviously got uh, three more goals to the good against Leicester. Um, I think you guys, I think you guys would be fine because uh, I know you got Villa on the final day. Um, I'm obviously we're obviously going to be watching uh, Bournemouth's game against City before we play, and then Villa at Everton. I can see Villa potentially getting a point from that game. Um, but to be honest, I think I don't see enough quality in Bournemouth or Villa to get enough points to overtake us both. So uh, I'll be very, very brave and say that we'll both stay up this season. Excellent. Well, that's the sort of positivity we like to hear on the We Are West Ham podcast, Andy. Andy, thanks very much for joining us and do stay with us if you're still listening here because we'll have Reese Bayliss, the rogue mystery players quiz master, up next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. You've still got Will Pugh, you've still got Tom Edwards, and you've still got James Jones. But an esteemed guest we had just now, Andy Lewis from the Stairway to 7th Watford podcast. Little bit, little bit of hope, I think, for West Ham off the back of what Andy was saying. He sounds about as cagey and as non-confident, if that's a word, as we are over on the We Are West Ham podcast. But now I'm delighted to say that we are joined by the guest of all guests. Uh, you'll all know him as the quiz master, Reese Bayliss. The Mystery Players quiz has still been going. It's not quite the same with me doing it and without Reese doing the questions, let alone without Charlie hosting it and me and James going head to head each week. But Tom has got James in his pocket at the moment. We will do the Rogue Mystery Players quiz in a minute and the shoe will be on the other foot for Reese, as rather than the quiz master, he will be answering the questions alongside James and Tom. We've got three excellent, excellent answers coming up this week, if I do say so myself. Reese, how are you? First of all, pretty pleased with the win at the weekend? Yeah, extremely, mate. M must, like, uh, caught. Must. It was a definite must win, wasn't it, in the end? Uh, I was quite surprised how 
easy it was in the end, in all honesty. Um, and let's hope we can do the business Friday. That, that is exactly it, is it? Just talking to Andy just then, what a huge game that is for both clubs. Unfortunately, before Bournemouth won, we were all hoping we could just all agree on a nil-nil before the game and uh, and then both stay up at the same time. <laughs> Fortunately, it might not be that anymore. But Reese, uh, obviously, it's great to have you with us tonight. But one of the reasons you're joining us, you've started a new little venture, haven't you? We uh, like a giveaway, a fan giveaway on the We Are West Ham show. We've done a few already. This season, life uh, snugsies we gave away, personalised West Ham kit snugsies. We also did um, some My Hammers 11 prints earlier in the season. And you've got a similar concept at the moment, haven't you? So you're doing your own prints. Some fans can choose their, their all-time favourite Hammers Legends 11. Um, and you print them up on a nice little product. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course, mate. So it was, um, it's been in a pipeline for probably about a year. Um, as I mentioned to you, when we, well, certainly when I was a kid, um, went through the stage of collecting all the stickers and cards and anything that come out to do with the Amers, um, which I've kept over the years. Um, and as I say, for about a year, I've been looking at doing um, something like it. And obviously being in the lockdown, it's given me more of a chance to have a look at it. Um, and I've put a few things together. I've done my own one. Um, that's come out how I wanted it to. So I've put it out to people on Twitter. Um, I've done a page for that, that, you know, a bit of feedback here and there, and we can sort them out some prints. So, so just, just so people know, if they do want to see a bit more about it, just as so these are prints, aren't they? With So you pick your favourite all-time West Ham 11, uh, yeah. and you, it's the Merlin stickers, isn't it? The old stickers or the old cards, or can yeah, it be any? Uh, well, it can be any, mate. So it's going from, there's going to be six decades to choose from um, yep. as a background, starting from the 60s up until the 10s, if that's how we want to call it. We should just um, be able to get 11 good players from those yeah. years, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about that. Probably all noble or something like that, mate. Um, <laughs> but um, you can do that. You get the badge from the era and then you can pick whatever players you want. Um on my one, I've, I've always liked the 90s as my best era. Um, the old so, Dagon and Motors kits. Yeah, yeah, that, that features a lot. Um, but also, as mentioned, there obviously have been players that have played for many years at the club. So you can have a choice of what shirt they played in um, and bits like that. There will be a couple of generic prints that I will be publishing soon that you can buy just as a standard of family members. It'll probably be like a an 80s legends or a 90s legends or something like that. I know the club are running a, they're doing a legends team on their, on the website at the moment, aren't they? So um, something along them lines, it's a bit of a, a bit of a sideline. And if people are interested, I've had a good bit of interest at the moment. Um, as I said, the first, I've had the first one off of the print today, um, ready to send out tomorrow. So brilliant. So not enough. Certainly a nice little birthday present for any Hammers fans. And before we know it, it'll be Christmas. So anyone thinking ahead. So if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in that, bespoke prints, or you can get the standards at Legends underscore 11. And uh, you'll be helping out Quizmaster Reese in the process because we paid him absolutely sod all to do the quiz and hold the podcast up for the entire season so uh, if you can but yeah listen to the to the details you've heard at the beginning of the podcast about the the free giveaway 
that we're giving away on We Are West Ham, head on over to our Twitter and you'll find the instructions on how to enter there. But um, great stuff from Reese. Now, the mystery players quiz. You did it for us all year while proper football was going on and while we were all allowed to go to the games. It was a huge hit. There have been suggestions that it was the only reason people tuned in to listen to the We Are West Ham podcast each week. We've kept it going on a friendly basis since James pipped me on the very last week. Tom, I'm just going to have to throw to you. You missed a week last week. You've destroyed James since you've joined us on a permanent basis. We'll do another friendly, friendly excuse me, between the three of you this evening. Are you still feeling good or are you worried that the week off might have thrown your form a little bit? Thing is, that Jonesy is such an unpredictable player. You never know with him because he could he could get the most three random names straight off. So never ever have I ever written him off. I'm not I'm not stupid. And I remember what happened when I was part time. I think he may have had the wool over my eyes. So listen, mate. I just take each game as it comes, really. And we got looked by the big man himself today as well. It's going to be. It's a battle for the faint high, mate. It's not that. Exactly. Exactly. The man, the myth, the legend, Reese Bayliss. So, Jonesy, I won't, I won't throw to you. I know the sort of man you are. You want to let you, you know, you do the talking on the pitch tonight, it's, won't you? It's just a friendly fitness exercise. Result doesn't matter. <laughs> <clears throat> you must be really fit now, though, because you've had five of these exercises and haven't won one. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, if I lose this week, I'll be worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might not be about <laughs> fitness anymore. Excellent. Well, let's get straight into it. It's the same format as ever. Three players, five clues for each one. The clues get gradually easier in the hope that one of the lads can jump in with the right answer as we're going through. So, with Reese Bayliss, the original quizmaster, Tom Edwards and James Jones, head-to-head, this is player number one, clue number one. This player is the youngest of four children to a dad with English and Irish heritage and a mum who was born in Siegen in Germany. No guesses from the lads so far. This versatile star has 37 international caps and was on the bench versus England at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Clue number three. Thomas Hitzelsberger. Yeah. Incorrect. This player's grandfather <laughs> played for the Boston Celtics in the NBA. Okay. Jonathan Spexer. Oh, James Jones. Not a word from him for the whole of round one. And he pulls That's it out wonderful. the bag. The man has been in absolutely terrible form, sits there nice and quietly, waits to hear all the information, absorbs it, and then bang, goes 1-0 up with Jonathan Spector. It was gonna, the other clues were he's a current staff member at Atlanta United, and this former Man United star once scored a brace versus the Red Devils in the EFL Cup quarterfinal oh. in 2010. Tom, I like to get the Thomas Hitzelsberg guess, I like that. So, James Jones, one, Tom Edwards and Reese Bayliss, nil. This is player number two, clue number one. This player's little-known first name is Carl, and he's actually best known for his middle name and surname. I know you love a middle name clue, Jonesy. Clue number two. This Premier League winner played for the Seattle Sounders, Celtic, Shimzu Sea Pulse and Mumbai City after West Ham. Clue number three. Teddy Sheringham. This f- incorrect. 
Clue number three. This 43-year-old has 75 international caps and played versus England at the 2002 World Cup in Japan. Say, uh, Denver Bar? No, awful. Incorrect. <laughs> he's I didn't hear the first clue, I've got to confess. <laughs> he's, not, he's not 43 and Denver Bar's middle name <laughs> is not Carl. <laughs> clue number four. He has managed a Premier League game against West Ham this season. Blimey. Clue number five, and this is the one where you will 100% get it. This former Calvin Klein model was one of Lundberg. West Ham's work. Yes, James Jones, and he takes the win. Arsenal, he was in charge, wasn't he? For, he was a caretaker manager this season for Arsenal. Blimey. And uh, yeah, he, um, when they beat us at the London Stadium earlier this season, I thought I'd throw that one in there. Yeah, of course he was. I am, uh, I am very surprised. None of you knew that he played for Shimzu S Pulse <laughs> in uh, the Chinese <laughs> league, though. Uh, so that's James Jones. He's taken the win already, but one of either Reese Bayliss, the original Quizmaster, or Tom Edwards will be going home with zero tonight. Reese, I feel like you've got a lot more on the line. It's your reputation. You're the man who was the, the heart and soul of this this feature for the entire season. Huge pressure. I was building the. I was here. building myself up for the clues to be a bit like mine, mate. Not they lived in <laughs> road number twenty-four and in. <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right. This is player number three. Clue number one. This thirty-three-year-old surname means father's heart in his native language. Oh, I think Jonesy nearly had it then. Just waiting, just waiting for the, the, clue, the next clue to be his postcode and I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> clue number two. This 48-cap international never played against England. I mean... Clue, clue number clue. three. <laughs> clue number three. This player won Olympic silver in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Clue number three. Victor Urbino. Oh, Reese Bayliss. Oh, what a guess. Woof. It is Victor Urbina. Really? Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a guess. The final two clues for Victor Urbina were this player played 32 games during his West Ham loan spell, scored eight and got nine assists in an FA Cup hat-trick uh, in a 3-2 win against Nottingham Forest in 2011. This former Kievo into Milan and Malaga forward was international teammates with former Hammer Emmanuel Emenenke. What a guess that was. At what point in, in those three first three clues did you think Victor Abina? Because I'm still trying to work out where, where the link is. I was going for the, uh, the Olympic one, I think. When did we have him? 2010? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought yeah, you would have known... You do speak quite a lot of uh, Nigerian dialects, Reese, don't you? So I assume you just <laughs> ratified it with that, that first one. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, we like to be informative as well as entertaining on the We Are West Ham podcast. So the overall result for the evening, Tom Edwards, who was in scintillating form before he took a break last week, has drawn a blank as James Jones grabs two points to Reese Bayliss' one. 
Reese, while we've got you, you've uh, obviously pleased with the with the Norwich game at the weekend. Watford coming up on Friday, huge game. We've just got the one game in between podcasts this week, unlike the past couple of weeks. So less will happen. All doesn't actually rely on the games around us as much. What are your your thoughts and feelings into Watford and the end of the season generally? Um, obviously, after Saturday, it gives me a lot more hope. Um, I think we have obviously been quite lucky with other results around us. And I think that it was always going to happen that teams were going to pick up points. I think that it was good that it happened on a weekend where we actually got a win. Um, and realistically, we know what we've got to do Friday. Um, I don't think Watford are going to be a pushover by any means. Troy Deeney obviously likes playing in this fixture against us, doesn't he? So he'll probably turn into like prime George Weir or something like that. But um, <laughs> in all honesty, I think we've got enough. I think we've got enough to win Friday. Um, I don't think we'll get anything against United uh, Wednesday week, um, and I think that'd be that will be enough to stay up anyway. But I also think that we'll beat Villa on the last day. Um, it could be a lot different if if obviously we're reliant on that Villa game to get a win because anything can happen on the day. You know that in football. Um, obviously. Uh, Bournemouth and Villa playing before before us Friday. So, yeah, we'll see, mate. We'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be done and dusted Friday. I think same as everyone else. You sound like you've got a bit of quiet confidence. Right, lads, we're, uh, we haven't got too long left now. I want to wrap this podcast up. It's been an absolutely packed one. Well, as we mentioned just there, if you want to head over to and have a look at the prints that Reese has um, got going, they make a great little gift, Legends underscore 11, and listen to the details at the beginning and the end of this podcast and head over to our Twitter as well for instructions on how to win a free one in our giveaway. Just quickly, lads, shotgun answers once again. James, we asked you last week, you were very confident about staying up. I said five out of ten. First of all, I want your score predictions from all three of you for Watford. So, James? 2-1 uh, West Ham. Tom? 2-0. Reese, West Ham. Uh, I'm going to say 3-1 West Ham. 3-1. Confident answers all round. I am going to say... I'm going to go one all again. I'm going to err on the side of caution because I did that in the two games that we've we've just had and we ended up winning one of them. So that's pretty good. Uh, James, and out of 10, how confident are you this week that West Ham are going to stay up? I think you gave us quite a solid seven or so last week. Um, I went with five. So just quickly out of 10, that West Ham are going to stay up? Eight. Eight. Tom? Seven. Seven. Reese. Definitely seven. Definitely seven. I'm going to push mine up one this week and be the merchant of doom still as ever and say six. But it's been an absolutely packed show tonight. Thanks very much to Andy Lewis from the Stairway to 7th Watford podcast who came on. We've chatted about the great win, Mikel Antonio. What a hero he is with uh, the first four goals in a league game since 1981 when David Cross did it. We've spoken about Burnley a little bit. We've spoken about Sebastian Haller. We've spoken about the huge game that we've got against Watford on Friday night. And what a game this is. If West Ham win, we are up. If we don't win, we'll do it all again this time next week. You know where to get us. It's the We Are West Ham podcast. Find us on Twitter. You can email us, wearewesthampod at gmail.com. But thanks for being with us all this time. 
this huge game this weekend. Up the hammers and we'll see you next week. Hello there, I'm Tony Gow and you are listening to We Are West Ham podcast. Hi everyone, it's Will here from We Are West Ham and I'm delighted to let you know we're running another listener giveaway. This week, one lucky listener will win a free A4 bespoke West Ham United Legends 11 print designed and produced by none other than We Are West Ham podcast icon, Quizmaster Reese Bayliss. In between writing quizzes for the podcast and his day job, Reese has been putting together some fantastic pieces that would be a great addition to any Hammers fan's home. If, like me and Reese, and almost every youngster I knew at school, you collected football stickers or cards as a kid, then this is the prize for you. The winner will pick their all-time favourite Hammers players from the six decades available, the 1960s through to the 2010s, and their 11 star players in the style of the most popular football card or football sticker of their era will be mounted on a bespoke West Ham background from the decade of your choice. You pick your favourite club crest, your favourite kits and stickers for your very own personalised and unique piece of West Ham art. To win, just head on over to we are underscore West Ham on Twitter and follow the instructions on the competition tweet. Simply like and retweet the tweet, follow we are underscore West Ham and WHU Legends underscore 11 and tag a West Ham loving friend or family in the comments. Remember, if you don't win, the prints are available for sale at A3 or A4 size and would make a wonderful gift for any Hammers fanatics out there. And to be honest, we paid Reese absolutely sod all to do the quiz each week and the feature basically propped up the entire podcast all season long. So you can certainly do with the cash and it make me feel less bad. So head on over to WHU Legends underscore 11 to find out more. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.